Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Today we speak with Kiara Moore, who is a avid hunter jumper. Uh, she has just required a nice, nice, nice mare and is working towards great things with her. Kiara lives in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and she is so fantastic. She has even helped me with events for my own personal endeavors. So I just am really thankful for Kiara and I hope to see m- much more of her in the future. So take a listen. Feel free to share with all of your friends. This is what Young Black Equestrians is about. Talking to and giving a voice to Young Black Equestrians all over the world. I hope you guys enjoy. You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. So you, have you by chance listened to any of our podcasts before? Yeah. Yeah. So I had been, because like when you are on Instagram and stuff like that, you know, definitely a lot of black equestrians use that specific hashtag black equestrian or something like that. Um, so I had popped on it and that's why I discovered, I had actually discovered you guys' page before you guys even reached out to me. And then from your page, I actually discovered other writers and then I was able to go on SoundCloud and listen to um, some of the other interviews and the things that you guys have done in the past. So, Well, that's super cool. <laughs> it makes my heart happy. <laughs> right. The power of social media. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm just super appreciative of everything. All 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 the work we've put in as well as the work that is to come. So Right. So we've been starting off each of our episodes, at least this season, uh, with saying or sharing something that we are thankful for. So if you'd like to start off, Kiara I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I said it. I said it right the first time. Kiara, if you want to start off with just sharing something that you are thankful for today. Uh, I think out of anything, I would have to say that I am beyond thankful for, most importantly, my mom and my twin sisters. Um, because probably without them, I wouldn't even be um, where I am just in my personal life and school and in the horse world, like, I would be nowhere without them. They are literally my number one supporters and the people that keep me uh, from giving up. So, you know, be, besides God, uh, my mom and my twin sister are, like, my backbone, so. No. That's awesome. Aww. What are you thankful for, Caitlin? I am thankful for um, support those friends who just shake up on me and see how I'm doing. I'm thankful for them. What about you, Abriana? Um, today, today, this is random. Today, I am thankful for finding receipts to things that I need to return because sometimes I don't have the receipt, <laughs> but today I did and it was like, Woo, I don't have to spend that extra money. I can just exchange this because I needed to get something else from Lowe's. And I was super thankful for finding the receipt because it was it was 
kind of faint. It was barely there, but I found it, and they took it, and that made me happy. <laughs> so. Right, yes. right. Gotta be thankful for the big envelope. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kira. So, briefly, just tell us about yourself, kind of where you're located, uh, your current horse, if you have one, uh, and then what discipline you ride. So, I currently live in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, I was originally born here, but I'm a military child, like most people from Fayetteville, so... Um, I grew up on Fort Bragg and in New York um, on Fort Drum uh, base. Um, I do have a horse. I literally just bought her at the um, beginning of this month. Um, wow. I was, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, she was a blessing in disguise. Um, I, I say Bob, but literally I pretty much just acquired her. I, she's literally a gift um, in disguise for me. Her name is uh, red, white, and blue, uh, or her brand name is Maddie, and she is a six-year-old golden bird, um, and right now we're just working on getting her fit because she was with an older couple, and she is a little feisty, so she is considered actually pretty young in the uh, jumper world, and so um, we're just working on getting her fit and back into shape, and next year, hopefully, we will be uh, debuting in the jumper ring. I have done hunters in the past and a bunch of other stuff, but um, I'm setting my sights on, you know, we'll do a couple local shows of the jumper, show jumper ring, and then, you know, try and get out there and get to some really good shows, hopefully, later next year. That's pretty awesome. That's super cool. For our listeners that don't know, because I don't think I've asked this question yet, can you tell us the difference between hunters and jumpers? jumpers and I mean I was like 10 you know so I wasn't really doing that much but 
right. You know, and people are like, yeah, I'm a hunter jumper. I'm a hunter jumper. I'm like, okay, so are you one or are you the other or are you both? <laughs> How does that really and work? For some people, they do do both fields. Um, so some horses do have the ability to, you know, be really quiet in the hunter ring mm-hmm. and then really turn it up in the jumper ring. So that's where you get your hunter jumpers. Also, because a lot of people do start in the hunter ring before they go to the jumper ring. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good basis. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So... Tell us kind of how you started off into horses. Like, at what age were you exposed and, you know, who got you into this lifestyle? So, it's actually really funny. Um, my family is not super outdoorsy at all. Nobody, period, in my entire family, really. You know, there's a lot of abusive stuff, but nothing like what I'm doing. Um, according to my mom and my grandfather, ever since I was very, very young, um, I've always had a fascination with horses. Um, my grandfather bought me a 60-piece horse figurine set, and I actually still have some of them, uh, when I was seven years old. And, you know, that's my first real memory that I have of, you know, having my horse things. And I remember everyone saying, oh, it's just going to be a phase. Don't worry. Um, no, I've always been a crazy horse girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the time I was 12, I was like, okay, mom, can I have a horse lesson? Um, and just the back story was my mom is a single mom. She um, raised two sets of twin girls all by herself. And two uh, set, two sets of twins. So there's yeah. four. Yeah, there's four girls in the house. Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, and we're only three years apart too. So. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> Mom is the real MVP, okay? Yes, but and she was active duty military my entire life, so um, it was not the easiest for her to figure it out. But um, basically, she got a babysitter to take me to my very first lesson, and it was in a western saddle. And I walked in there thinking I was a pro. Let me tell you, I had read all the books. I knew what everything was called. And I remember still distinctly to this day, the instructor got really annoyed with me saying, like, I know what that is. I know that. She said, I always think that it's better to learn quietly than to be talking. (laughs) 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 But I was just so excited. You know, I was so excited for the opportunity. And that was my last lesson until I went to boarding school in ninth grade. And this is where my life really uh, changed in regards to just my opportunities. And so... I had a, um, a teacher who taught at the uh, uh, boarding school, and she was my uh, Spanish teacher, Senora. Um, uh, why am I blanking on her name? We'll come back to it. But um, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> um, she basically, you know, just been teaching me and everything like that. She found out that I love horses, and she's like, "Well, let's see if we can get your mom permission to." Um, let me take you off campus because my mom was living in New York and then boarding school was in Pennsylvania. Um, so, you know, she would have to have permission. And so I did get permission. And um, once a week, every week for my ninth grade year, she took me to a horse lesson and it was dressage. And between her and my instructor, uh, Miss Kim, uh, I literally was, and that's when I was really introduced to the horse world. And 
to say that they are like angels in my life is an understatement because without them, I don't think I would have gotten the exposure that I needed to because they literally took time out of their day on the weekends, um, during the week to, you know, give me these lessons. My mom would spend $30 a week. It's all we can afford, but she did it, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me to have these horse lessons. And um, I actually went to my very first horse show with them. I still have the ribbon and all the photos. No. Um, and I'm actually still in contact with um, Senor Alexander and Miss Kim. And, they, you know, they pop in and check in on me. Um, but without them, I honestly owe everything, everything equestrian starting in my life to them. Um, because, like I said, you know, my mom wasn't a horse person. She's still not. She will hold the end of the lead rope for me. <laughs> um, but if that horse even takes a step to drop that she's out, she's like, ah, uh-huh, <laughs> what I signed up for. Uh, but she supports me. <laughs> um, but, you know, without without those two women in my life, I don't think I would have been horse riding even still now because they really, you know, they took a chance on me. And I made sure that I paid it back tenfold, even being as young as I am, so at ninth grade, that's like 15, 14, 15, mm-hmm. even then I understood how impactful it was, what they were doing for me. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, to have that that kind of influence is, is great. So, uh, Caitlin, does your mom act like that around horses? Does she what around horses? Does she act like that? Like, like if they move, she's like, uh-uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that isn't because she didn't like them. That's actually my dad's fault, to be honest. Well, because he put her on the horse and did something, and that horse took off with her. So, oh no. Oh well, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> my mom came over to see or they brought me hay and um encore was out and she was like rubbing him and he went to walk closer to her and she's like no no i didn't ask you to be this close to me back i'm like mama really it's a miniature horse right like it's a mini horse she's like no i don't you don't have to breathe on me i'm like you're so dramatic anyway (laughs) kiara what are some of the challenges you've had to face kind of as a minority in this in this industry so you know we always wish that we could just walk into any type of situation and be treated just as uh, everyone else especially in the horse world where I just want to be, you know, judged based off of my merit and my ability to ride. Uh, but ever since I was younger, um, especially once I started showing horses, um, I was, I, I definitely had some adversities that I had to overcome. You know, a lot of people was, I was a child. Keeping all, keep all this in mind. I was a child and people would just say standard lines like, oh, what is the black kid doing here? Mm, or they'd be like, oh, you can beat her. You know, there's no way that she can be a better rider than you. And I, I think that as a, you know, I mean, I say child, I mean, I was 14, 15 years old and I would hear those kind of things and 
not necessarily obviously for my trainers. My trainers have always been fantastic, but you know, these are just people that um, you know, I would compete against, I would compete against their kids, I would compete against adults and you know, they automatically look down on me because of my skin color. And a story that I always tell people, um, when I was I think maybe eighteen I was showing in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and I walk in, we, me and my mom get to the show, and there's a black judge, <laughs> and I'm telling you, <laughs> that doesn't happen, especially in upstate New York, where I was showing, it was called uh, Western Pleasure and Hunter Under Saddle, mm-hmm. um, and I walk in, and I stopped, and I snapped my mom in the shoulder, and I was like, hey, you see that black judge there? Do you see him? I was freaking out. You bet, you bet to leave. My horse at the time, her name was Jasmine. Um, uh, and her, her show name was Princess de la Vie. And I will tell you what, I made her look like a princess that day. <laughs> I was like, oh, these hooves are going to shine. This mane is going to be braided. This tail is going to be pristine. You're, she was a blood bay, so I was like, you are going to shine like a copper penny because, <laughs> I, you know, I, I always showed up ready to compete, but I was like, this is a black judge, and I'm about to ride my butt off. And, and you said it was a man? And it was a man, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. We just did a we just did a podcast episode with a black male judge um a few days ago, so that's super cool that you mentioned that. I wonder if it was him. <laughs> I that would be so crazy. And um, you know, I remember I looked at my mom and I said, "Mom, I know people are going to talk, but I'm about to go out here and I'm about to win these classes because I want to show this judge look what we can do together." Like, mm-hmm. and I felt so empowered mm-hmm. being him in the ring. Mm-hmm. And I did. I went out there and I won almost every one of my classes except for one. And the judge walked up to my mom and he said, I just want to let you know, I can't continue to pin your daughter first, even though she deserves first. He's like, I know that she will face backlash if I continue to place her first. Yeah. And because he had, like, the mindset to even think about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I still, I still, like, I wish I knew his name, because I still thank him to this day, because I appreciated him thinking about that, because for me, I was just thinking, look what I can do, look what I can do, but I forgot, like, there's a reality that I had to live in, where I am not considered equal in the riding community at all, and, you know, I would understand, too, if I wasn't with my mare all the time but you know we were smoking through it I still have all the ribbons <laughs> with it. we would smoke every show we went into mm-hmm. but it was this show where people talked you know more so because they're like oh no it's okay if I'm not winning but if I'm winning and then there's a black judge right. people would side eye people would say disgusting things along the ring mm-hmm. and I actually um, my showman at the time um, we had to put her down, and so after that, I actually removed myself from the equestrian world for probably about three years, because I literally told my mom, I'm like, why would I continue to do this if I feel like I'm going to be constantly on this uphill battle 
and I'm going nowhere. You know, I was I would compare myself to other kids my age, and like, you know, I don't like to point it out, but I was like that Caucasian girl. She's competing at the same level as I am, and I would say, well, she already has a sponsor. What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm beating her, you know, like, I would always compare myself to that, but then as I got older, I was just like, you know what, that's just not my blessing to have right now, yeah. so, um, but it has definitely been an uphill battle for me, especially riding in the English world, where, what, we have, um, Anna Buffini, who is a beautiful dressage rider, and, um, we have the gentleman that you guys, uh, who event, who events, um, that you guys... Oh, yeah, Canyon. With. Canyon Walker, yeah. Yep, yep, and, you know, but what angers me is that I don't think that it should be a rarity. I shouldn't get excited because the judge is black. I should get excited because I'm like, look at at where we are. I shouldn't get excited because I haven't seen a black person at a show. I always crack jokes because... I'm always like, everyone's going to know who my mom is because mm-hmm. we're the only black people here. Exactly. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> exactly. Especially, and I, I keep saying, especially in the English world, because we have really made big moves um, in regards to, you know, black writers in the Western world. I see, I see that representation there, but I think that there is a missed opportunity all the way around um, because, even if you have representation, it's not necessarily, um, and I, I know this is sensitive, but it's not necessarily black riders that look like me or you. It's, you know, it's black riders that are fair skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they look mixed. You know, it, it's yeah. still, I see it. Not everybody else sees it, but I'm like, I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're still catering yeah. towards the predominant, like, you know, Caucasian writer. Um, you know, they're they're slim, they're not curvy, and you're just looking at them. You're just like, I'm a fit writer, but I can tell you what, I am not a size two, and it's not body shaming, but like, I cannot look at you know a cat a Dover catalog or a state you know state line catalog and say, ooh, I look good in this. Right. Because I can't even envision myself in it. Right. Right. That is. That is the truth, all of that. You know, (laughs) colorism exists in every crevice of reality, you know. It's it's a twofold conversation. It's, you know, do I see anybody that looks like me? And then it's like, no, seriously, looks like me. (laughs) Not like, you know, you know. Anyway, I, I agree. I agree with that completely. you know when you see somebody even if they're not a judge if I see another black person at the show like I am going to make eye contact with you <laughs> it is just Heck yeah, I'm, I'm walking up to you yeah I'm like, like hold on now. hello what are you here for? Right? <laughs> uh, 
Right. I mean, at least making that connection. And that's the thing. Like, although you feel that sense of, you know, comfort and empowerment, it's also like, we really shouldn't, it shouldn't be this exciting, <laughs> you know? Right. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be this rare, you know? We should be able to get over this at some point. <laughs> Yeah, girl, flash mob. Okay, that would that would be awesome, especially if you know it's not a a black centric place like at the fairgrounds or you know at these different you know rated shows like um so and so is showing. We need the support. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I even told the 4-H kids, I'm like, look, all these parents out here, they're going to be quiet. They're going to, yay. Like, no, that's not how I roll. Like, if you did my a mom, good class, I'm mom. like, wow. <laughs> that's my mom. I would actually tell her, because, you know, like, Hunter shows are very quiet, and so are Josh shows. And I have to warn her, I'm like, hey, I know you want to cheer for me. And I was like, you can do it for show jumping, but you have to be quiet. if we could put together some kind of like flash mob like rolling deep right. just every- <laughs> no we all have to show up at nine o'clock okay we don't we're not gonna trickle in we're walking in together exactly. <laughs> lord those people would be so confused <laughs> i mean it's sad like that when you like even if my family comes to like i had showed a really really big show in new york and so all my family Oh, we don't know much. 
much about it as a yeah. whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would I would say, you know, people go where they see people that look like them because that's comfortable, yeah. you know, so that they're, they're going to seek comfort. That's just like we were talking about in the other episode, um, you know, being comfortable or, or seeking out places where you feel comfortable. And it's just the, the stereotype in I mean, I know some Western barns, especially like Western Pleasure, they can be a little bit snobby, but Western is oh, known yeah. known for being like chill, like relaxed, you know, just kind of piecing stuff together half the time, you know, it's supposed to be the cowboy way. And I think that is a little bit more appealing to people who are just now getting into the industry as opposed to, you know going out here and competing against or even learning with you know little skinny white girls who have been doing this their whole lives you know mm-hmm. and that's kind of where you start too. oh sorry no go ahead uh, i would say too i'm gonna be honest english writing is freaking expensive yeah Yeah, 
continue riding up and down the street. I want to see you guys all the time. I actually stopped one time and I was like, hey, let me come ride with you guys. But then also I chicken out because they are just like really good riders and I'm an okay rider. <laughs> but I was like, you guys ride against like traffic. Right. <laughs> not that. Not that brave. <laughs> I'm not that daring. <laughs> but I get so excited when I see them because that's exposure. You learn and you like, this is exposure. This podcast, I have shared it with almost everyone. And then I will share it on my Facebook. Like, I have, I'm sharing it. I'm throwing it out there because I'm just like, everyone needs to be exposed to this because at the end of the day, there are people out there. Like, I would love once my marriage is, like, you know, fit and healthy. I would love for kids to be like, hey, can I come and sit on her? Because mm-hmm. that's all they need. It just needs one moment, one moment. And it's just like, boom, there's a kid in English writing again. Boom, there's a kid in English writing again. Because yeah. it's not necessarily that black people are more underprivileged or anything like that. I hate when people are just like, well, that's why you don't see, because I've heard that before. That's why you don't see black people in the English world because, you know, it is a little expensive for them. And I would, we don't promote violence, but it is frustrating. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I, when I see a little girl at the barn that is brown and I'm just like, oh my gosh, can I just, can I take her on a trail ride with me? Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't need to see, you know, the Caucasian girl riding or anything like that. She sees that all the time. That's Barbie, you know? That's Barbie. That's, um, what are all the other shows? But, you know, that's that. So I always want to make sure that, you know, these kids see that they can do English riding. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have that fancy, fancy horse. Because my mare that I showed in New York that would clean house, I paid $400 for her. She was about to go to a kill time. Mm-hmm. She she looked horrible. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out and I took her to um, you know I built her up and then I at the end of her career going to recognize the best. So you know it just goes to show like it's definitely the work that you put into it. Um, but it's also we just need more representation in that higher level English world to be like you can still do it. Yeah, you might have to work a little bit harder because. You know, the handouts aren't coming. Right, and but, we should be used to that anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but you can still do it. You know, I think kids are still pushed towards basketball, football. You know, what was old that we're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. When really, we need to be pushing these kids towards these other sports because that representation does matter. Those opportunities for the black community do matter because that's how we're going to strengthen our generations that are coming behind us. That is the truth. Sound bites. <laughs> so what do you what do you do like for your job? Like during the day? Uh, yeah. So I'm actually a vitamin nutritional manager at um a store called Sprout Sonic Market. Mm-hmm. It's like a natural grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'm also in school, um, starting in the spring uh, for forensic psychology. So, nice, nice. So I need to get a, a, a different day job so I can afford afford <laughs> uh, to go to these bigger shows. <laughs> yes, story of my life. Also, <laughs> so I can do lots of things. I need a different job. Um, exactly. Kind of spell out for us your vision 
for the future for this mayor that you got. You know, you're obviously going to put in the work. You've worked so hard already. What is your ultimate goal with this mayor? Um, so with my little Maddie Moo, I really, really want to go and shake up the house. Um, I want to take this mayor um, under the tutelage of, you know, a fantastic trainer. I'll be moving on soon, actually, um, and we'll be training under a, a, a jumper trainer. And so I really want to take her from, you know, this cute little kind of chunky pasture mare to um, as far as we can go. Obviously, um, any rider who has big, big goals wants to get to the Olympics, but honestly, if I could just um, compete Maddie once international or at an international show anyway, um, I would definitely say, like, dang, look at what we just did. Yeah. Um, I don't limit my goals at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, Maddie is definitely a blessing in disguise. And so with the right tutelage, I think that um, she definitely has the capabilities of, you know, being that little nugget, that little diamond in the rough that I have been praying God for for the last few years since I stepped back into the equestrian world because, you know, even all my friends are just like, you kind of need to get your own horse. <laughs> you aren't going to get anywhere with your lesson horses that you're riding. And yeah. I think a really big, big quote that I have too that I've been living by is like, you have to stop building dreams for other people and you have to build your dreams for yourself. Yes. And that it is okay to be selfish and choose your future and yourself first. Be selfish. So this is a true book I live by because me, <laughs> me obtaining Maddie um, and acquiring her and just like literally it was like poorly timed. I wasn't even really prepared to own a horse and um, owners are just like, do you want her? And I'm just like, uh, sure. Because I was just like, it would be so dumb. Even like, you know, all my friends and family and even my boyfriend doesn't know anything about horses. They're all like, it would be dumb for you to not take this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, instead of living in the fear and allowing myself to make the decisions based off the fear, I was just like, well, let's go into this head first, fearful, but still doing it. And so I would say definitely, I'm not going to say that Maddie's Olympic material. We would all love our horses to be Olympic material. <laughs> um, and I don't even... I don't even know the last time I owned horse, you know, personally owned by a little person, went to the Olympics, but um, I would definitely say that I want to see me and Maddie move up in the ranks and do what God has blessed me with the talent to do, and that's to kick some butt in the jumper ring. Mm -hmm. I've always been really strong in that ring, and um, I'm really excited to bring Maddie along in that journey now, so... Uh, I'm hoping, definitely, like I said, hopefully recognize events by the end of the year. Um, you know, I, she is six, so she is considered a, a pretty young in the jumper world, so mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I take care of her joints, take care of her legs, and, you know, make sure she still has a good, solid foundation, because that will be the only way that we can get to the top, is making sure that I take care of her now, so then when it gets to that time, she can take care of me and make up for my mistakes down the road. Yeah. Yeah, 
that's awesome. That is awesome. I support all of that. I know that you will have to. We're gonna have to find you on Facebook so you can um post when you're going to a show because we will roll out yeah. to Fayetteville. It is not that far away. So I'll be competing probably in Raleigh and Southern Pines, actually, so. Okay, so even closer. We will be in there, okay? Yeah, with an entourage. With, yes, with. I'll send out an invite and be like, invite everybody, you know? Mm-hmm, We got to make this a thing, man. freaking hilarious all right so you have dropped like crazy amount sorry my dog is making noise you've dropped crazy amount of gems so far but if you had just a few things a few pieces of advice to give the aspiring equestrian you know somebody who's on the fence you know, always wanted to do this or, you know, can't afford it, don't know where to find the resources, although that shouldn't be an excuse. What would you say to them? Um, I think the biggest thing that has helped me along in my journey is you really have to find the right trainer in the right barn. I have worked off a lot of my lessons and shows doing the grunt work. You need to be a working student or some sort of working student. Um, And that's for any rider. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. But I would say definitely for somebody who, you know, like me, whose mom could just, could not afford like horseback riding, period, at all. I tell people all the time, I have literally been working since I was 14 years old mm-hmm. because my mom could not afford lessons, even like sometimes once a month because it's just so expensive. And I would say there are barns out there who are so willing to bring up a willing and hardworking student. Mm-hmm. And they don't look at it as charity. They don't look at it as a handout. There are so many trainers out there, and you have to be careful. You have to find the right ones because you can easily, and I have had it happen so many times, you can easily get taken advantage of. But, you you know, you just finesse it. Really reach out and ask for advice. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you can literally reach out to me, and I will even go on the cover for you. I will figure out if this is the right trainer for you. Because um, I've done it before for a lot of my friends, um, and it's you know they were Caucasian, and they're just like, "Yeah, I need you to fill out this trainer for me." Um, but you know, just take your time, find the right barn, and then just see what they are willing to give you, and make it count every single time you're in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Like work hard, clean those stalls, learn how to braid. Actually, it's very very fruitful journey if you know how to braid because people pay big bucks for it. I actually will too, so learn how to braid and come back my first. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> learn how to braid. Um, you know, learn the 
house of what it is to own a horse, run a barn, because that's going to make you marketable. That's going to give you even more opportunity, and that's just going to literally open the doors for you. And do not let anybody limit you based off of the color of your skin, because the only limits that somebody can place on yourself are the ones that you've already placed on yourself. That is sound advice. As you guys see, I've been through some stuff. <laughs> yes, I'm like, she She got a testimony, okay? <laughs> I really, really, really appreciate you talking to us today because I have a feeling this is going to be one of our best episodes, honestly. It's just very well, honest. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. It's just it's so crazy you guys contacted me because I have been trying to just take advantage of every opportunity, especially since I own my own horse now. Um, just because, you know, it's a little bit easier when you own your own horse to really promote, like, your message and things like that in the horse world. Yeah. Um, and I just really appreciate you guys reaching out because it is a sensitive subject, mm-hmm. you know, in the horse world. A lot of people like to skirt around it, but mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely something that has to be talked about so that, all of us here on this podcast are just like, oh, yeah, did you see, you know, uh, Christina, you know, did you see what she did last week? And we're just like, we're not saying, did you see that black rider doing what she did? It's, you know, look at right. Christina, look at Becky, da 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 Like, look at all these people who we can look up to or mm-hmm. we, who can, we can bring along yeah. rather than it just be this thing of like, oh, my gosh. Is a black rider. Cause still to this day, I've only seen like one black rider at a show, and it was like six years ago. So since oh then, it's just been me. So you know, I want to change that. You know what I mean? Exposure. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with all of that. So, alrighty. Well, we're gonna um, we're gonna. If you want, you can either send us pictures, um, or we're just gonna steal them off here social media (laughs) and it's just for the graphic for um for the for the podcast um for the episode so either one works and um awesome yeah and i don't even think i'll have to do a lot of editing because the audio was great so this episode might come out before some of the other ones that i've done so or that we've done that makes me really excited so awesome. Well, Caitlin, do you have any other questions for Kiara? Um, just remember, <laughs> just remember um, the invited. Of course, that you are around here because so far, most of the people that we've interviewed, they are in different states. Yeah. Um, are. I know. When <laughs> I saw the number come up, I was like, wait a minute, can you? one of the black trail rides? No. What is that? I don't even know what that is. Okay. Girl, what? G- okay. So, we just, okay. So, yeah. We're we going to have a meet up because 
me and Caitlin, we grew up on this trail ride circuit. It's called East Coast Trail Ride Association. And these different clubs every weekend from what? Like April, Caitlin? I think March. March? Yeah, March. Every weekend, there is a trail ride somewhere. Most of them are in North Carolina, but some of them are in Maryland, South Carolina. Uh Um, Yeah, Virginia. And literally hundreds of black people come together. They go out into the country, like in these fields. They bring their campers and tents and horse trailers and yada yada. And we... And the whole family, yeah. My parents go, and they just take their camper. Like, I don't even get to go, but they be gone. (laughs) And we ride. Like, Friday night, we party and eat food. Saturday morning, we go out for a trail ride, three, four hours. Then we come back and eat and party. And then Sunday morning, everybody leaves. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be in touch because there's a few coming up. Caitlin's family, theirs is coming up in September, so we'll be going to that. Yeah. You need to experience this. I mean, I would probably, like, try doing all this black bag as well. I've never, like, I've never even sat on a horse beside another black person on a horse. Unless it was, like, you know, like, I told my sister on a horse, like my yeah. that I own. But that's it, you know. Like I, oh my god, I'm gonna really choke up because like I've never, I've never seen other black riders, and I just see that there's been a group of them all together. Yes, <laughs> girl, you. Yeah, are you on Facebook? Let's find you. Yes. Yeah. Remember the tag? You the video from the last one. Well, yeah, girl, you know that we will create a space of our own where we cannot find one you know exactly so we are out there okay we are definitely out there hey everybody and thank you for listening to another episode of young black equestrians the podcast feel free to like subscribe comment tell us what you want to hear what you think about what you've heard We'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye.